Praise the Lord. Like I said, this Sunday school revival is just becoming normal. That's all. From abnormal to normal. And that's what revival is. So I think we need to get normal. Amen? You guys into that? Let's get normal this morning. Normal Christian. Normal love for God. Normal sacrifice. Normal sanctification. Wow, I'll tell you. This morning what I want to do, we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, these first three verses, uh, you know, I've, I was just spending some time here. And I understand that it's not the most exciting part of the chapter. In fact, probably the, the biggest part that people just kind of skimp over. And the meaty stuff just follows in verse 4 and to the end of the chapter. But I got hung up on a couple of concepts here in these first three verses of chapter 4. And I'll read this to you and then we'll talk about them a little bit. In verse number 1 it says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And in that verse, what we're seeing is the spiritual joy that we can have in the spiritual family that God has given us and how that each one of us are a crown. Uh, I'm a crown to somebody and, you're, and uh, I have crowns that will, will come to my account as I work with people. And so you've got to remember that. There's people that have invested with you. There's people that have helped you. People that have got you to where you are. Never forget that. Amen. And give God glory for it. Then it goes on to say, I beseech Eudeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now this sounds very serious, doesn't it? Not really. It actually sounds pretty mundane when you think about it. Same mind. How often do you have two people in the same church that don't have the same mind? Pretty well every church service. <laughs> Amen. Here the Apostle Paul is mentioning by name two of them. Can you imagine that? What that tells me right off the bat is this, that we've gotten used to a way of church that I don't think God is pleased with, where we're at each other, where we're holding offenses and bitterness and anger, and that is not normal. That is abnormal. The Apostle Paul thought it was so normal that everybody would have the same mind that he mentioned two ladies that had a different opinion on different things. And they read this letter to the church. And the ladies were there. (laughs) (laughs) Nowadays, that's when they get the tomatoes out. (laughs) That's when they say, let's string up the preacher. Amen. But you know something? I think we got to get used to a new normal. A new normal where we start dealing with sin in the church. Where we start dealing with things that are eroding the very effectiveness of what we can do for God. And I think that our churches have become places where God can't even use them because of the wickedness and sin that's happening within them. And sometimes sin is not necessarily those really wicked, ungodly things that a lot of us, oh, I wouldn't do that. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I mean, that's the new normal. Amen? And so I think we need a little revival in our church this morning. (laughs) Don't you? And that takes confession. It takes repentance. It takes change. It takes, well, first off, and this is everything, it takes humility. Humility. Without humility, there is no forward movement for God at all. And that's what we need. Amen? It goes on to say here in this third verse, it says, And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, 
and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask that you would just help me, Lord, this morning to bring forth a message that would be effective in helping our church to yoke together, but to yoke together with Christ. Oh, Lord, I want this church to do some things for you. I pray, dear God, you would help us. Lord, I pray you'd bring revival to our hearts. I pray you'd break the rod of our pride. Lord, that we would get things right today. Oh, Lord, I just pray that we would see the importance of the being like-minded and being true yoke fellows. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. A yoke. I thought about this. There's two major concepts that I got out of these three verses, and the one was having the same mind. We talked about that last week, the aspect of being like-minded. There's a lot involved with that. It's more than just me. We all believe in that Jesus is the Son of God. <laughs> there's philosophy. There's methodology. You've got to be careful. The devil's going to get you on those things. Well, what makes him think he's right? We could do it this way. We could do it. But you got to understand, someone has to set the tone for the method. Someone has to set the tone for the philosophy. Someone has to set the tone for your mission statement. Every church is different. Ours is different even from my home church. But you know something? We all have the same goal. And I think that whenever someone goes into a church, they have to say, I have to take on the same mind as what's being promoted here in this assembly. If it's scriptural, amen? If it's not, then don't, then leave, amen? But the fact of the matter is we got to have the same mind. And the one thing that's hurting us more than anything is we do not have the same mind. And that's why, folks, I take it very seriously. When people come into membership, they have to agree 100% with our doctrine. I mean, we're talking from salvation all the way through to the pre-trib rapture and the pre-millennial return of Christ. I've had people that have come and say, well, I don't believe in the pre-trib rapture. I want to be a member. I says, you can't. I'm not going to allow that. Doctrinally is important. They say, well, pastor, I don't understand all that stuff. I'll tell you something. If you come in with a humble heart, you'll understand it. <laughs> it's not about knowing it all. It's about being in agreement and saying, I'm willing to become this. But if you're not want to be that, then you got to make up your decision right off the bat. You can't be like-minded. Then find a place that you can be like-minded with. Amen. That, preachers aren't supposed to say that, are they? Did I just step over the line? <laughs> because we're supposed to do whatever we want to bring everybody into the church no matter what. Well, I'm sorry, I'm changing that rule. I'm changing that rule. You know who I want here? Those that Jesus Christ is bringing to build this church. I can't build it. I'll choose the wrong people. <laughs> Jesus Christ will build his church. Amen. And the other concept that I, that I got out here is this word that, that showed up, this yoke fellow. How many times do you use that word in your life? <laughs> Amen. You're just you know, talking on the job. Hey, you're my yoke fellow. I guarantee you never use it. But it's a very important word. In fact, it just really built my whole message today. And this message is called Yoking with Christ and the Church. Yoking with Christ and the Church. Now, yoke is a wooden bar or a frame by which two draft animals, such as ox oxen, are joined together at the heads or necks for working together. And so that's what the church is. We're a bunch of people that are connecting together so that we can do the work together 
with the same mind. That's what the local church is. It's called being a yoke fellow. Amen? We say, I don't want to be no yoke fellow around here. Well, <laughs> you're going to miss out. <laughs> you're going to be a pew warmer, but you won't be a yoke fellow. Amen? A yoke fellow is someone to, it means to join together or to yoke together as in marriage. Many times when you hear a marriage, marriage message, uh, they'll talk about the yoke of marriage. Uh, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in the same harness. <laughs> you're saying, hey, we got the same mind to do the same thing and to move forward here and raise our family in the direction that the Lord wants us to go. But you see, a yoke is useless unless your yoke is yoked with Christ. Because otherwise, who's going to determine where, what we're plowing here, what direction we're going? Uh, we're going to pull this way, that way. Our, our, our plow line is going to be all over the place. And when we put in the seeds, a lot of it's going to miss. <laughs> so that's why many times when they plow, they take two oxen of generally the same strength and they put them together and they make them pull because they know it'll be a straight line. And then, of course, the farmer is there to give a little whipping <laughs> when the Oxen don't do what they're supposed to do. In fact, when the Apostle Paul was being convicted about his sin, I read that this morning in the book of Acts, how that he, had, he was there when Stephen was, was martyred. He was a young man. They laid their coats at his feet, and the Bible says he consented unto Stephen's death. Did he throw a stone? I thought about that this morning. Paul, Saul didn't throw a stone but he was just as guilty as the one that threw it because he consented. Guilt by association, amen? <laughs> he consented unto the death. I believe that day when he saw Stephen look up into heaven and saw the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the throne of God, that he looked at this man and as Stephen said in a loud voice, lay not this sin to their charge there was something that pierced the heart of Paul. And we know just a couple of chapters later, the Apostle Paul, still desiring to put Christians in prison, God met him, Jesus Christ met him on the road to Damascus. And he says, Paul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So what would happen is they would, when, they're, when they have these oxen in their yoke, they would put a bar behind their legs with little spikes in them. Because many times the oxen, even though they had the yoke, they wouldn't want to do what the farmer wanted to do, so they would kick back at the farmer. So he'd put pricks there. <laughs> so here I'm supposed to be moving forward and doing the farmer's will, but I'm kicking back, and that's our conscience. How many times our conscience gets pricked when we make the wrong choice? And the Apostle Paul was being convicted in his conscience, and I believe it was, now I can't say this for sure because it doesn't say, but I believe it was when he saw Stephen saying, lay not this sin to their charge. What he just saw there was a glimpse of the glory of God. The same thing that Jesus did when he was on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That was a glimpse a very heaven on earth when Jesus made that statement. 
And that when Stephen made that statement, it was the same thing. It was through the portals of heaven down to earth. You had a statement that never, ever was heard other than through the Lord Jesus Christ some short years before. And this man repeated it as his life was leaving his body. And he says, lay not this sin to their charge. And I believe that glory from God through Stephen aimed like an arrow to the heart of Paul, Saul, and he was convicted. And his conscience was made alive. Now, many times when you're convicted as a Christian, or as a, uh, even as a Christian, and you don't submit, you become pretty rotten. In fact, you become worse than you were before. I always say when somebody gets mad at me, if I'm giving them the gospel, there's still hope. If they're not mad at me, then there is no hope. When there's somebody I talk to and they just kind of say, oh, I don't care, and walk away, I'm very grieved about that. But if someone says, oh, who are you to tell me? I say, ah, you're kicking against the pricks. <laughs> you understand? And that's the way it is with us sometimes in the local church. God wants us to yoke together with Christ and he wants us to, to form a straight line and Many times we're kicking against them, and our conscience is bothering us. I'm just going to encourage you to deal with that. See, if you don't deal with that, your conscience becomes seared, which means it'll stop bothering you sooner or later. There's two ways it'll stop bothering you. You get it right, or you cauterize it. That means you stop feeling, and the Holy Spirit of God withdraws himself from your life. Oh my, what a terrible place. I, I'm glad I feel bad when I do something wrong. <laughs> Amen. You know, you kick against the pricks long enough, your legs are going to develop calluses where those pricks won't even hurt anymore. And you'll be kicking against the work of God for the rest of your life. Working against the local assembly, the body of Christ. Working against it. Meeting God and Jesus looking at you why did you do that to my body? Why did you do that? I'll tell you, there's a day of accounting coming. <laughs> and each one of us will look Jesus straight in the eye. That's if we're ready to meet him. Or our eyes will be cast to the ground. And the Bible says many will be ashamed at his coming. Many. I believe a majority of Christians will be ashamed. I really do. I believe it's going to be a minority of believers that will be able to look Jesus in the eye because I'll tell you something. In the local church, this is my experience, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. And when you're not doing the work of God, there's a reason why. There's a reason why you're not yoking. There's a problem. And that problem is causing you some issues. <laughs> And you know what? It's going to be accounted for one day. If I wouldn't give myself to yoking with the church and doing what God wants me to do, I will give account for it. Because that's why we're here. Otherwise, he should have just taken me home when I got saved. It would have been good. <laughs> if he would ask me that day, here's a checklist. You want to come now or later? <laughs> now, amen. But he didn't give us a choice. He left us here for later. And he left us here for later because he's, I, I got something for you to do. I've got a yoke 
I want you to wear. I want you to be a true yoke fellow, a true yoke fellow. And labor, this word labor means to strive. It means to contend with someone. Key word is with. (laughs) Not contend against, but we contend with someone. When you're laboring with someone, what you're doing is you are fighting with them, not fighting them, but you're fighting with them at your side. The laborers of this church must yoke together to fight the battle together. (laughs) There is no army out there that has ever won a battle where the soldiers fought themselves. And yet in the local assembly, it seems to happen more than any army that's ever existed on this planet. And we are the army that say we know Jesus. (laughs) And we are the one that's supposed to be exemplifying him. Amen? Fellow laborers, a co-worker or helper, so striving together, not against, alongside someone, not to hurt people, but to help people. Number one, I'm going to give you a couple points here. Church members, now I'm talking church members, uh, you know, I can't expect someone that isn't, doesn't want to be a church member, you know. So I'm putting the weight on you that have said, yes, uh, pastor, this is my church, I am a member, I've given myself to this. Well, then there's some things that we need to make sure. The first one is this. Church members must be sincerely yoked to Christ in salvation. Say, well, I'm a church member. That doesn't mean anything. You could be a church member. All you had to go through to be a church member was convince me. Your salvation isn't about convincing me. Your salvation is about convincing God. Church. I always tell people there's two dynamics here. When it comes to church, we're about religion. I hate organized religion. How many times have you heard that? They love unorganized religion. <laughs> no, they don't want that either. Then they, then they criticize the unorganizer. Amen? But the fact of the matter is this. Religion is this way, horizontal. It's about we, the way we treat each other and the way that I reach out into this world. My baptism is religion. The baptism today is not about establishing anything with God. What needs to be established with God was done before. (laughs) Amen? There's salvation, which is vertical. There's religion, which is horizontal. Now, the world does this. Well, which religion is right? The religion that starts with God and ends with man. That's the right one. The religion that starts with man and ends with God, is not the right one. (laughs) You understand that? In other words, a religion that tries to do things horizontal to establish the vertical is not right. (laughs) Because how in the world can I do anything horizontally if I don't have what I need, what I can get, vertically first? Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Which means that it's a flow. He's talking about a river. Rivers have a source. It works through something and comes out the other end. True religion is a religion that starts with God 
and salvation works from the source of the fountain through the heart of man, out of the belly, and towards the world. Never do you establish salvation by your religion. You cannot establish this by this. <laughs> this is an evidence of this. Pure religion is this. Visiting the fatherless and the widows and keeping yourself unspotted from the world. It's a result of a relationship with God. Amen? Church members <clears throat> must be sincerely yoked. And that's what a true yoke fellow, the word true means sincere. Sincere. You're not a fake. <laughs> I've been in uh, pastoring long enough to know that there's fakes in the church. I'm not saying you're a fake. I'm saying I've seen fakes in the church. All right? I'm not pointing my finger at you. Pastor said I was a fake. You may feel that way. Ask God about it. But <laughs> I'm not telling you that, all right? To be sincere, really the word means to be born of children, meaning legitimate. It means lawfully born. So when I'm talking about being sincere, I'm talking about being a legitimate church member, a legitimate child of God, someone that is truly sincere in their heart that they've received Christ, that they trust what he did on the cross of Calvary. They've given their heart to him. Not someone that just in their mind talks about Jesus. But someone from their heart has given their complete trust into the hands of God through his son. Not some experience you had. Not some dream you had. Not some slap on the head you had. But a true repentance of heart toward God where you saw that he is the God of heaven. You have been worshiping yourself. You've been worshiping the world. You've turned from that. You've turned to God and you've received by faith his son. Legitimate. Many people today are not legitimate. I believe we'd be surprised in churches today how many are truly born again. There's times I've heard of, especially with young people, sometimes we grow up in the church, <clears throat> we're used to religion. We're used to preaching. We're used to sitting in the pew. We're used to singing hymns. We're used to Bible camps. We're used to all those things. And so the sincerity of trusting Christ really isn't there. But I've gotten used to how things should be. And I've learned how to fit into that dynamic. That's why many times we were talking about this the other day, Shelly and I, many of the preachers, many of the evangelists didn't grow up church kids. They started as drunkards and drug addicts. They grew up in single-parent homes or neglected or abused. And God got a hold of their heart one day. They understood what it meant to trust. Trust someone. Trust Christ to believe on him. They understood the cost of sin. Oh, I remember when I went forward. In my heart, I was so distraught. I had no peace. 
and I was seeking the Lord. I didn't know what. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. <laughs> I didn't realize it was as easy as just bowing your head and humbling your heart and coming to him with empty hands, saying, you are the only way. You are the only way. Oh, I'll tell you, church members, we must be sincerely yoked to Christ in salvation. So, well, pastor, I talked to you, but I heard a testimony. By me hearing what you said didn't make you saved. All I can do is take your word for it. I can't see in your heart. Only God can. You had the right answers. You knew the gospel. But whether you trusted, trusting in Christ can only be seen by the evidence. Now maybe after the fact I'll say, yeah, I don't know if that person's really saved. <laughs> because I don't see the flow. Now, sometimes the flow is stopped. <laughs> Even if I have salvation established because of my flesh and carnality, that flow is not being seen. And it can have the same effect as someone that is a lost. You look like a lost person. It's called the carnal Christian. <laughs> so I, I just determined a long time ago, I'm not going to be the judge of someone's salvation. What I'm going to do is ask them what they trust and if they have the right answer, all I can do is simply just trust that they're not pulling the wool over my eyes. But I'll tell you something. If I believe you, it doesn't make you saved. You could still go to hell when you die. Even being a member of Airdrie Baptist Church. Even after you've been baptized. So what I want to do is ask you this morning, are you sincerely saved? Are you sincerely true, true in your heart? Man, I've seen preachers' wives get saved. There's some pastor, someone just told me last week, oh, that pastor just got saved. <laughs> just okay. <laughs> Think about that. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't go on not being saved as a pastor. You're a lot more effective being a saved pastor than an unsaved one. But can I tell you something? I, I cannot, I don't know your heart. Only God does. And right now, if God knows that you need to get saved, he is speaking to you. The Father is drawing you. Don't let your dirty, rotten, stinking pride keep you from coming to Christ. You come to him no matter if you've got to face a thousand people along the way. It's not worth facing the flames of hell for eternity, losing your salvation, losing your ability to go to heaven. Amen. I didn't say lose salvation. <laughs> Losing the opportunity. Today is that day. For today is the day of salvation. And if you're here without Christ, don't count on an experience. Know in your heart. His spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are the child of God. Are you a child of God? Are you legitimate? Well, the preacher says, <laughs> nope, <clears throat> I'm not taking that responsibility. Your salvation does not hinge on this preacher. 
it hinges on your decision to turn to Christ, to trust Him. Be legitimate. The word here for sincere is the word genos in Greek. And I thought about that. Genos looks like genes. We come from the same genes. When you're sincere, that means that you are, you are taking on the genes of what you're sincere about. That means you're not a fake. You're not pretending. <laughs> See, I'm legitimately a true yoke fellow in the church. I've yoked myself with the church of God. I am born again, and I'm truly sincere in my heart. I love it. I've given myself to it, and I'm doing it till Jesus comes. Can I tell you how that last part is important? Too many Christians in the moment say, I'll put on the yoke, <laughs> but they've already got an escape hatch for next week. You know, we need some Christians just say, you know what? I'm going to do this till Jesus comes. I remember when Pastor Sullivan asked me to <coughs> do the Truth For Today radio programs, he was doing it. He'd actually drive 20 minutes to sit inside of a radio thing to get recorded, come back. It took a lot of time every week. I said, why don't we record this? Let's edit it. Let's send it out to them. That way, you know, it got to the point where all we did was take his messages and edit the message, so he didn't have to do anything anymore. So as that progressed, we started off with a reel-to-reel. You guys know what those are. <laughs> Amen. Tape. And that's how we first recorded it. Then I remember MP3s came out. You got to know what MP3s are. You know that I started looking into that before people knew what it was. I would go to the radio shack and I'd say, I would like the ability to take my pastor's messages and put them into MP3. They'd look at me, huh? MP3. <laughs> well, how do we do that? Well, first off, you're going to need this $600 card for your computer, and it was just a lot of money. MP3. You know, you can go to online now and drop your file in. It'll create one for you and download it to your computer for nothing. Digitally, we began putting together. And you know what? I made a determination. Now, I'm not doing it now because the guys over there did want to take it over. But I made a determination in my heart when I started that. I said, I will do this till Jesus comes. And I began pastoring in 2000. And well, I began going over the 2000, started pastoring in 2002. And I moved away. You know, what we, you know what we figured out? A way that I could connect my computer with a computer at the church. And it would take about an hour, hour and a half to download it. But I was able to create a, a virtual network in 2002 and download the messages. And I would edit them and then I would upload them to the radio station. And I did that for several years being a pastor in a different city. Why did you do that? Because I made a determination to do it till Jesus comes. Now, practically, when we got back to Pemina Valley and I was there for a few years, we began to develop a very nice <laughs> technological base there 
where we were able to actually get it done right there in church and other guys were getting involved or where they just took it over. I didn't say, hold on there, this is my job. No, because you know what? Sometimes there's other people that need to come and say, can I jump in that yoke? And they did. And guess what? They're doing it now. And I'm sure they're saying, till Jesus comes. You know, I came to this church and started pastoring this church. I, you know, I know some church planners are out there. They say, I'm going to go there for two years. And I've seen that happen over and over. And that's bad for the church. Amen. From day number one, this is what I said, till Jesus comes. Till Jesus comes. And people look at me, you're going to leave us, aren't you? I said, no. Till Jesus comes. Or someone shoots me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Preacher. <laughs> Until you shoot me, I will preach. Amen. Amen. If we are sincere, we are the same spiritual genes. Same spiritual genes. That's why I think sometimes it's hard for people to get into the yoke in a church because they're not of the same spiritual genes. And we're wanting them to fit the yoke, but they can't fit the yoke because they haven't been transformed. They're not regenerated. Amen. So can I ask you, before you talk about serving, can I ask you about your salvation? Because in order to be a true yoke fellow, we got to have the same genes. That's why the Bible says in the Old Testament, not to yoke an oxen and a donkey. Different genes. And in fact, the Lord called that an abomination. He says, that's an abomination. When you yoke together a oxen and a donkey, he says, that is an abomination to me. Now, you think he's got something against a donkey? <laughs> no. But he was illustrating the importance of having the same spiritual genes. Yeah. Amen. And if we're going to do anything for God in this church, that's the way we're going to have to operate. <laughs> and you know what? I may get it wrong when you come to me about your salvation. Maybe you've, you know the lingo. Maybe you've gone through this and you've got it all formulated what to say. Maybe you have the right answers. I don't know if you're truly born again. And you need to make sure you are. Because I know there are some people, by the sin in their life and by the way they act, I don't believe they're saved. You can be a professor of Jesus Christ without being a po possessor of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You can profess him, but not possess him. Do you possess him? Amen. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. We must come to Christ for rest to carry his yoke. I like this passage here in Matthew 11, verse 28. And I can see I'm not going to get done. Amen. <laughs> Mostly a salvation message this morning. It says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yeah. Now this first come unto me here is a salvation invitation. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. This word come is talking about responding to salvation apart from works. Apart from works. He's saying you, you've, you've tried working and you're heavy laden, you're, you're burdened down 
and it's not working. Come to me, and I'll take your heavy burden off of you. And I will give you rest. Amen? Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The word works here is performance. The result or object of employment, of you doing something. The Bible says your salvation has nothing to do with you doing something. (laughs) If you think getting baptized is helping you get saved, well, you're double not saved. Amen? Twice the child of hell, the Bible says. And you don't want that. (laughs) What you want to do is get rid of your works-based thinking, not add to it. So not of works, lest any man should boast. Because that's what we would do. Because we're proud and we're sinners. (laughs) If I could do one thing to get saved, I would stand up here, look what I did to get saved. And if God would allow it and give me a chance to have the mic before his throne, I would stand up there and tell him how I deserve to be there. That's how depraved our hearts are. So he won't give us an inch. (laughs) He's, I'm going to make it in such a way that there's nothing that you can brag about. That means my son did it all. And if you don't trust that he did it all, then it's like he did nothing for you. Nothing. Rest. This word rest. Thought about it. Come unto me, all you that are burdened or heavy laden or labored heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The word rest means to make to cease. So resting is something ceasing. Because when I'm not resting, there's something going on. You know, you know, during the night when you can't rest, when you can't sleep, there's something going on. The gears are grinding. You can hear them, you know. You can't get, your, can't get rest, you can't sleep. That's because you're not ceasing. So what I need to do is cease. And when I cease, then I can get rest. And so he's saying, if you come to me with all your burdens and your heavy laden and your labors, I will make it cease. Praise God. (laughs) See, that's why in the Old Testament they had the Sabbath day. The Sabbath was a day that God gave to picture how that in Jesus Christ, all the work ceases. It says, on this day, you will do nothing, absolutely nothing. He wouldn't even let them pick up manna on the Sabbath day. He gave them double the manna the day before so they'd have enough to eat on the Sabbath day. But no way he'd even let them go out and pick something off the ground. Somebody tried that. They were picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Moses said to God, what shall we do? God says, kill them. That was a picture of how that if you think you can do one thing, you will die. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. <clears throat> now, now we meet on a Sunday. This is not the Sabbath. Sometimes I've heard old preachers, and, and I get what they're saying. You make sure you come to church on the Sabbath. And they're thinking about Sunday. Because they're just making a spiritual term that associates with 
church. But I don't call it Sabbath. Sabbath was yesterday. That was a Saturday, the seventh, the sixth day. Seventh day, right? My brain. On the seventh day, the Lord rested. Ceased from all of his works. That principle he established in creation has been running through and will run through right to the end of time. It's amazing what you learn from creation. We were talking about that last time, all these principles we learn. To enter into rest with Christ is when you cease and Christ works. So that's why the Bible talks about the operation of God. It's called Operation Salvation. He did all the work for you to get saved. And he did it so you'd completely cease from everything. Now, if you're not ceasing, you're not saved. That means if there's one thing you're holding on, well, I, I've been, I, I've done, stop bragging. You're just proving you're lost. If you've never repented toward God and put your faith in Christ, you need to do that. I don't care what you've learned in Sunday school. I don't, know if you, I don't care if you've read the Bible a hundred times. I don't care if you know every Bible story in the Bible. <laughs> to get saved, you've got to trust Christ completely and you've got to cease from your own works. And if you have not done that, you are lost. Even though you've been in church every day of your life, it will not make one difference towards your salvation. You'll just be a well-church person in hell. Salvation is when you cease. Stop thinking. <laughs> you got to stop. That's what it means. Cease is stop. Just stop already. <laughs> well, I stop. <laughs> I go to a door. You know for sure you're going to heaven? Well, yes. How do you know that? Well, I Stop. Well, you haven't heard yet. I heard enough. I heard I. Stop. Stop. Stop thinking you're good enough. Stop thinking you deserve to be saved. Stop thinking God owes you salvation. Stop thinking your religiousness saves you. Stop thinking religion saves you. Stop thinking this baptism saves you. Stop. Stop. Cease. Cease from it. Like I was saying in Sunday school, all you're doing is taking your faith, turning it introspectively. You're putting your faith into yourself. Salvation doesn't work that way. Faith has to be turned outward. Faith goes to Jesus and him alone. Your ability to believe was designed to fix upon Christ. That is where the empty spot gets filled. <laughs> That's where the salvation and the power come from. It has to be external, not internal. So if your answer is, I stop, your faith cannot be inward. <laughs> it has to be outward. Coming to Christ is believing in Christ. Hebrews 4 verse 2, it says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. There's us, there's them. <laughs> he that hath the Son, he that hath not the Son, 
There's two groups on this planet. There's us and them. Those that have the Son, those that don't have the Son. Not the Baptists and the Mennonites. Not the Lutherans and the Catholics. There is us and them. There are those that have the Son, those that don't have the Son. That's how we know salvation. But it says it did not profit them. But the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. That means he didn't believe it, didn't trust it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he hath said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Even Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world. You know, God did nothing more after the foundation of the world. All the works were done. That's why he could look at Adam and say, oh, he believes me, he's saved. That's why he looked at Abel's sacrifice. Oh, it looks like my son dying. Well, how do you know that? That's thousands of years in the future. He says, no, no. <laughs> to me, the work's already done. That's why Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Because the works were done. There's a group out there that teaches you can, that somehow in the Old Testament, salvation is by works. New Testament, salvation is by grace. Tribulation, salvation is by works again. And then millennium, salvation by obedience or whatever. But can I tell you something? Salvation has always been by grace. Because the works were done from the foundation. Complete. So he's telling everybody that's ever been born, stop. Abel, stop. Cain, stop. Oh, but look at what I did. Look, look at the food I made, God. Look at what I could give to you. Stop! And he didn't stop. Throughout the Old Testament, he's telling him to stop. That's why he said, you bring me the blood of goats and lambs and all these things. He says, I don't desire your sacrifice. But a broken heart and a contrite spirit, such sacrifices I will not despise. That was Old Testament. There's never a time where a a lamb or an oxen saved anybody's soul. (laughs) Those were simply evidences many times of a person that was saved. But salvation was always stop. Always ceasing. The principle was in creation, and that principle continued from creation and will continue to the end of this world. (laughs) And the millennial reign, Jesus Christ will sit upon the throne and sinners will be brought into the kingdom from the tribulation and from the beginning he's going to look at them and say, just stop. Just stop. Just stop. Believe. Never will it be works. That was laid from the foundation of the world. Amen? So let me ask you this. Have you stopped? Have you ceased from your own works? 
Or are you picking up sticks on the Sabbath? Well, i got to do something here. I mean, just pick up a stick. What's a big deal? <laughs> That's what we'll say. What's a big deal? Why would he deserve to die over uh, picking up a stick? That's because you don't understand why you deserve to die without picking up a stick. Maybe that's why you're not saved. When you understand why that person died for picking up that stick, you'll probably be ready to be saved. Cease. Cease. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Are you tired of carrying that load? Maybe you've got a heavy burden that you've been carrying. And that heavy burden, you just can't get past it. It's like ever since I've been going to church, I've just never been able to be free of it. Can I encourage you to ask yourself whether you've actually stopped your own works and truly trusted Christ? Maybe you're a young person here today. Well, I've always been in church. We are a Christian family. Families don't just become Christians by going to church. Individuals get saved by ceasing. They come to Christ with their heavy burden. And Christ makes them stop. And he takes the burden off their shoulder and gives them rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I...